0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
1: Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast. Hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Hi and welcome to episode 71 of the Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. I have a very brave letter to share with you today. And usually the letters are anonymous. And today it's not. It's from someone who has her very own podcast. So I want to say hello to anyone listening that has found me through the Life Unrestricted podcast. I have a letter today from its host. Her name is Merit Boxler. And in her letter, she describes her own complicated relationship with food. And she experienced binging and restricting and um, a caregiver who was experiencing an illness and just did not find a way to provide Uh, food in a way that was acceptable for a child. And so she missed out on really having a secure foundation with food. And that has led to um, some disordered eating that has been complicated. And then we also live in this world where it hasn't recovered from its own eating disorder yet. So that further has hindered her recovery. So I'm really excited to go through this letter. And one of the reasons why I wanted to read it is because her letter is going to speak to you. Even if you didn't have the same experiences or the same kind of complications in your childhood, there are so many things in there that I know that you're going to identify with. And so as I go through some things to try to help further enhance her journey towards food peace, I wonder if there also will be some some nuggets for you, some solutions that you may want to try. Before we get to today's letter, I want to say a very special thank you to this episode's sponsor. The Pursuing Private Practice Masterclass eCourse by Jennifer McGurk is a fabulous resource if you are someone who's wanting to start your own private practice. You know, I started my practice in January of 2005, I was really excited to finally not work for the man anymore, yet I had all these details that were really pulling me down and making me spin my wheels. And I wish I would have had access to something like this. It is 10 modules for um, starting and growing a private practice and also a workbook that goes along with it. If you're a dietitian, there's also continuing education. So if you would like to check it out, I highly encourage you to sign up. I had a peek at the course and it's amazing. Again, I wish I would have had something like this. It would have saved me a lot of sweat and tears for sure. So if you want to know more, go to juliedillonrd.com forward slash private practice masterclass. And I have a super secret code for love food, love food listeners. The code will give you 10% off at checkout. Codes boss, B-O-S-S. I love that because I want you to be your own boss. It is the most amazing thing. If you would like to make that jump or find out more, go to slash private practice masterclass. All right, let's get to this episode's letter. <music> Dear food, oh boy, you and I, the roller coaster duo, I still don't quite know what to make of you. Sometimes, I think you're my one and only true reliable friend and source of comfort, deliciousness and bliss. And sometimes I wish I didn't have to eat at all because handling you is just so damn exhausting. It all started when I was living alone with my alcoholic mother, when all was unsafe, when there was ongoing constant drama and trauma, and when I really didn't know how to survive or whether I even wanted to, you were there. Remember when my mother put me on a diet when I was five years old, when all I got was half a yucky grapefruit in the morning and spinach in the evening? Remember how I immediately started stealing money to buy you? Remember how I went to school with 10 rolls of bread in a bag and how safe this made me feel? How for the first time I had something to eat at school too, like the other kids who brought their fancy food to school, yummy stuff that I was never allowed to have. So for a while, I didn't have to beg everyone else for food, but brought my own, whether it was stolen or from stolen money. At home, there was usually nothing, really. My mother constantly dieted, drank shakes, and put both of us through this horrible ordeal of weighing herself and me in the morning and of writing down the number every day to see if I was being good or bad, a success or a failure. The only place I was really allowed to eat really eat was at my grandparents they had cookies they made fancy desserts they had chocolate and i was encouraged to eat so i connected you to love dear food and every time i went back home my mother put me right back on the diet and back i was in an unsafe even dangerous environment with her unpredictability caused by her own suffering when my mother died when i was 15 i started eating finally i could Instead of crying for what I had gone through and for having lost my mother, I ate. I was relieved to be free of the constant fear at home and relieved to not having to take care of someone every day anymore. For a while, this whole eating was wonderful. We were besties for sure. But this connection was abruptly severed when I started realizing that it was you who made me gain weight. And that this was one of the causes why no one liked me at school, and why the others always made fun of how I looked, and I never got to hang out with the cool kids. So suddenly, I remembered my late mother's strictness with my food, and right then, it all started making sense. What if she was right? I obviously had to be controlled. And so I went on my own first diet when I was 20 and lost a lot of weight within a year's time. It was so easy at first, and boy, the world seemed to love me all of a sudden. The praise, the recognition, incredible. But this low weight maintenance started to cost more and more over the years. I missed parts of you food, parts that I was no longer allowed to have. And at one stage, I tried to suppress my appetite with pills so that I wasn't always lusting after you. My doctor was supportive of that, so I just tried everything. Let's just say that over the course of the next 20 years, I grew increasingly obsessed and increasingly afraid of you. I started to have these uncontrollable urges to just pig out with you. Binges that I regretted immediately after that. Binges that made me feel terrible about myself, as terrible and hopeless as I had felt as a kid. Binges that made me feel like a mistake of a human being so I started exercising. And over the years, that slowly but steadily spiraled out of control along with the binges. And you remember well, when I, eight years ago, when the weight started to come back, I swore to myself to control your effects by only eating dinner and skipping all other meals. And I was so mercil- mercilessly strict that I went on to eat the same huge amount of dinner every night. I allowed myself to eat as many vegetables and chicken as I wanted, So I literally binged on vegetables and salad and chicken and exercise on repeat every day. There couldn't be any exceptions because you immediately got your foot in and made me lose it. I remember once tasting bread after a year or so and literally losing it. For a week, I ate three pounds of bread every day until I realized that I had to take full control again. So I ended up eating the same dinner of vegetables and chicken for years every day. At first, this approach worked, but I couldn't lose those last X amount of pounds, even with that strictness going on. And only when I got new medication for a condition and suddenly lost a lot of weight within the shortest amount of time, without changing anything at all, people started noticing and my doctor started asking questions. So I had to become really thin until it got recognized how much I was suffering. I admitted to myself that I had started isolating, started declining invitations, started to feel really sick. And that I was terrified of regaining that weight because finally I had that low weight that I had dreamed of. I could wear all those skinny jeans. Yeah, but I knew that something was wrong. I had long lost my period. I had no sex drive. I woke up 10 times at night. I felt cold and raw. I was riddled with anxiety. My nerves were shot. My skin was dry. My hair got straw-like. My nails were brittle. I had stress fractures and a herniated disc. And still exercised. I had anorexic behaviors, I had exercise bulimic behaviors, and I had binge eating behaviors. Certainly, this must mean that I was entirely defective, wrong, maybe even the reason why my mother became so sick and died. That's how bad my thinking got. I was lost and felt at my wits' end. That was 2014, and that's when I got diagnosed with eating disorders not otherwise specified, otherwise called Ednos, and also a subtype. Of exercise bulimia. Finally, I knew that I wasn't just a monster. Now I knew that I was in the grip of a monster. And for the last two years, I've started educating myself, and I'm slowly learning to not blame everything on you, to not think that it was your intention to make me fail, or your intention to expose me as the failure my mother told me I was, to not fear you as much. I am still afraid, and I sometimes hate that I have these compulsions to eat and not stop, and that I don't know how to be normal around you. You know, not either diving headfirst into you and not stop eating or just not eating at all. I stopped taking that medicine that lowered my weight because I realized how much this made my liver suffer and that it had never really helped me. Quite the contrary, all it did was make me lose weight. That wasn't worth it. So I immediately regained the weight and I'm now where I was when I was quote unquote just dieting and over exercising. It was quite a jump, and now I'm afraid what will happen if I stop those behaviors. What if it makes me go back to where I was when I was laughed at and bullied? It's hard. I tell you, food, if only you weren't connected to weight. You and I would have a brilliant time because it's my fear of weight gain that messes with my relationship to you. Let's face it, without weight concerns, I wouldn't worry about you at all. I would just enjoy you but it seems like enjoying you means losing all the social currency I gained with a hard fought for weight loss. So yes, I admit it. I miss enjoying you freely and I'm afraid of losing my sense of safety. Losing weight was all I knew to stop the bullying, to be seen, to be heard and to be desired. So look food, I'm afraid of you and I love you. Sincerely, Merit of the Life Unrestricted podcast. Hey there, Merit. Thank you so much for your letter. And also thank you for letting me partner with you on your food peace journey over the next few minutes. I wanna give you some insight that I hope you find helpful, maybe some experiments. And I also really wanna give you a big hug a big virtual through podcast land and headphones hug. (laughs) I feel like I know you pretty well. And I got to be on your podcast, Life Unrestricted, and I believe it was episode 31. And I've gotten to know you over the last year. And so I care about you. And I'm really glad you are working to not blame yourself, that you're appreciating that this relationship with food and all of the blame that probably is outside of food too, it's not meant for you. And something I appreciate from your letter is that your mother's illness, it kept you from having a consistent, reliable, safe parent. It sounds like she was very ill, and it kept her from really nurturing you and providing this foundation that we children need. And it caused you to have to be your own parent for a while. And I hope you know that your letter, I know it was really painful to write, but I have a feeling there are so many people right now that although they walked a different path or had different experiences, they can so relate to what you experienced. And um, one of the things that I find to be really consistent with the type of experience you had growing up with a parent for whatever reason just couldn't be there to give what they need is to have this food insecure experience. Ellen Satter is a dietitian and therapist who admi- I admire greatly. She is incredible. And she has done a lot of research on food behavior. And she's done a lot of research and come up with this concept called a food hierarchy of needs. And I think she came up with this because we dietitians were trained to help people change their eating habits according to what kind of disease they're experiencing. And what she found is that that's a really tough thing to do if you don't have an experience where you have met other food needs. And that kind of will sound weird, but let me explain for a second. And the best way to explain it I think is by using the Maslow hierarchy of needs. If you took psych 101, you probably heard of Maslow and his like triangle hierarchy of needs to demonstrate what promotes the a person's behavior or what motivates people for behaviors. And, you know, the very bottom or the foundation needs to be met before a person is motivated to things that he puts on the tip of this kind of triangle or pyramid. And at the bottom is things like safety, um, access to oxygen so you can breathe, and shelter, and and security. And then as you move up, it's things like belonging and and moving up further, it's relationships. And then eventually the tip of the pyramid with Maslow's hierarchy of needs is self-actualization. And if a person is... Struggling to get enough oxygen in, they're not going to be really motivated to um, form new relationships. It's silly. You know, I think we can all appreciate that. And Ellen Satter, what she did was use that as a base for our food and how we relate to it. And so if someone is diagnosed with high cholesterol and they're told to change their eating habits in a certain way, and they're like, why can't I just do this? Why can't I just make these simple changes? If you peel back the layers, you may find things like food insecurity. And food insecurity can be um, living in poverty. It can also be like what you, Merit, explained your experience where a parent was not consistently there and didn't provide food whether it's because of their illness or because of constant dieting or because of both like it was for you, Merit. And food security is, is the foundation of the hierarchy of needs, according to Ellen Satter, with food. And as a person is working towards wellness and maybe they're wanting to do something like eat more fruits and vegetables, well, that kind of goal which is a pretty common one in pop culture and and discussing food goals, it's not going to be something that's going to really help someone who has a very long history of food insecurity. First, they have to help form that foundation of the pyramid and feel secure around food and feel like they can consistently eat enough. And so if you, listener, have been affected by living in poverty, If you've been affected by being brought up with someone who was always on a diet and so your food may have been different based on what kind of diet your caregiver was on. Or if for some reason you um, didn't have access to food, whether it was just a parent's illness kept them from providing, or if there was a reason why you wanted to change your body size because maybe the world was telling you it wasn't acceptable. You know, those are all things that need to to really be worked through and spent time with to sort out and connect the dots before people can work on things like wellness. And I feel like wellness, which unfortunately is twisted and tangled up with weight in our world right now, I feel like everyone thinks that's the most important thing. And it's not. And when a person is working towards having a secure relationship with food because of their past history with this food insecurity, like Ellen Satter describes, it's going to look like they're making food choices that are the opposite of wellness. Um, you know, a person working towards having, um, food security may need to make sure they have enough food at all times at home. And they may need to have enough of certain foods, like fun foods. And, um, they may, also have to experiment with having permission for those foods and sometimes permission in order for that to happen and to have that security, it'll look like that's just the only thing they're eating for a while. And for someone like me, who's sitting in my chair doing the work that I do, I know that's just part of the big picture of healing. But from the outside, especially someone who's not experienced with the nuances of food behavior and healing, they would maybe judge that. And sometimes my clients judge that too, with a fear of like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to stop eating this fun food or this food that was once forbidden. You will meet all your needs. You eventually will feel secure with food. Um, You know, it's just, I would relate it to any kind of feeling. Um, We may feel grief, we may, may feel anger, loneliness, you know, our feelings. Um, my cheesy thing I always say to my ki- kids our feelings are a gift. I think Kermit the Frog said that at one time, <laughs> but feelings are a gift and they inform us, especially if we're taught to tolerate them and also to know that they don't stay there forever. Um, as we feel our feelings, they inform our decisions and then they help us to carry on. And our feelings of permission and food security will eventually be met, we will meet these needs. We just have to know that they will be met in order for them to be met. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny, huh? But it's something that I see happening all the time. So for you Merit and anyone listening, which I know is many of you listening who can identify with her experience, just know that the work you're doing to build that foundation of the hierarchy of food needs, it's, it's gonna happen. You know, it's gonna seem like it's gonna take a long time and it's really good work and it's important work and it's work that you're worth doing it for because food peace is something that is your birthright and, and you can you can get there. So I wanna turn the page a little bit or turn the direction, maybe a little pivot, but something that I think further complicated things for you, merit, and for a lot of people listening, and that's weight stigma weight stigma was something that hurt you in so many ways. You know, as a child, your mother was dieting and I don't know what her size experience was. I don't know if she saw her body as acceptable or not. I'm assuming it she didn't think it was acceptable since she was dieting. And she also put you on a diet probably. I'm assuming from working with many families now. I'm assuming she did that cuz she wanted to protect you. She didn't want you to be Um, experiencing this stigma. And I think we didn't even know that much 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We had no idea about weight stigma. At least I didn't. (laughs) I know you all are not in my head with me, but I feel like it's something that I'm just more aware of now in the last 10 years. And I feel like the world is becoming more aware. We didn't know that weight stigma had this kind of oppressive power and just like we wouldn't try to convert a teen who's identifying as gay, we would instead say, we accept you. Uh, we, we accept you as you are. And I feel like a lot of us are like, of course we would do that. We wouldn't say that to change just to stop the bullying. I know that still goes on and that is just ridiculous um, and unacceptable to me. And I know it's becoming along that people are saying, it's important for us to not tell people to change in order to make the bullying stop. We need to stop the bullying. And um, th- the research with weight stigma is showing that weight-based bullying, we need to take as the same. So I, I appreciate that your mom, I know she couldn't do all the things you needed. And one of the things I think she may have been trying to do is to protect you from weight. Based bullying. And so weight stigma hurt her and it was hurting you in those first diets when you were first learning how to restrict. And it also probably started this physiological kind of tug of war that we often hear about in these binge and starve cycles. It probably was starting when you were five. Weight stigma also obviously hurt you in high school when you were experiencing that bullying. And why did no one stand up to the bullying to help you? Um, and I, I encourage anyone who's in a setting that can influence any bullying of any sort, and especially with children and adolescents, if you hear weight-based bullying, it's important to stand up just for like any other reason that someone would get bullied. Um, another weight-based stigma that you experience that complicated things is that you didn't see people that looked like you. If you were in a body that was a little bit larger or a lot larger than what was typical in Representations of media and as acceptable body sizes, that's something that further helps promote harm and food insecurity. Another one that's a big one that happened to you, Merit, and has happened to so many people I talked to and is just not acceptable as well is that I think your weight, your size being larger, kept you from an accurate diagnosis and access to appropriate treatment for your eating disorder. There are so many people who are experiencing life-threatening eating disorders, but because their body looks, um, quote-unquote, okay or larger than what is typical, it's just not even on someone's radar. So if you do any of that work that could possibly affect things like diagnosis in a timely manner, just know that how a person appears in no way, shape, or form indicates health, and you can't tell by a person's appearance if they're affected by an eating disorder. The last thing is I feel weight stigma has kept you like almost kind of, I'm picturing like this finger that's kind of like holding down your pant leg and and keeping you stuck in place. And there's just like this one thing that's keeping you from really being fully submerged into recovery from your eating disorder. and. It'd be really cool if you and I could just flick it right now get it away. Um, But I really feel like the way our world relates to weight and tangles that up into health and then further tangles that up into acceptance is is that kind of finger that's kind of still holding you back. And as I say that, I'm like, wow, what a minimization because this is a really powerful type of uh, oppression. But I feel like it can be sneaky and may not seem like it's that big a deal, but it's a really, really big deal. And Merritt, you are doing such a fabulous job with your podcast, helping people have more access to the radical idea of body acceptance and intuitive eating. So you're doing a, a tremendous um, part of helping to remove that oppression. And so- what we need to do is just keep on keeping on, <laughs> keep on letting people know that it's not okay to judge a person by their, their body, that weight does not equal health, and that we can't tell by looking at someone if they have an eating disorder. So some resources that I'm going to put on the food piece syllabus for this episode, and that I think would be really helpful if you, listener, identify with what Merritt's describing The first one is When Women Stop Hating Their Bodies, and that is by Munter and Hirschman. And this is a book that's not in print anymore, unfortunately, but it is so amazing. And if you can get on Amazon, you can probably find it for like $2 used somewhere. And I always find it at used bookstores, and I always buy them up. They're such great books to give out. And it has so many fabulous exercises in there. That uses metaphor that can help our brain, help that right side of our brain to really um, see, get a good picture of what full recovery can look like without weight oppression to help you make those steps. So I'm going to put that one on there. And then the other one that I'm going to put on the food piece syllabus is a book for anyone who is recovering like Merit, had maybe a, a similar experience in her childhood Or just for some reason can identify with our story, and also now providing care to a younger person, whether you're um, a parent or a teacher, a child care provider, a grandparent, or an aunt, an uncle, or just a friend to children, and you are you have a part in their regular kind of feeding. There's a really wonderful book by Ellen Satter. I mentioned her earlier. She's the one that came up with that food hierarchy of needs. She has a really great book if you identify with Merit's experience and it's called Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family. And this book is fabulous because it's divided into three sections. And the, the second and third section deal more with like the actual hands-on cooking and then also feeding the children. The first section I think can be for anyone, whether you come in, across children or not. And it really goes through how to help get to that place where you move through the hierarchy of food needs. And I think anyone who has a complicated relationship with food would find this resource extremely helpful. So again, those are the two things I wanna add to the Food Peace Syllabus. If you're new to the podcast and you're wondering, what is this Food Peace Syllabus thing? Well, this is a collection of resources that we have gathered throughout the whole time of the Love Food podcast. Um, all the different guests and all the different letters. We've gathered resources that help further a person's journey towards food peace. How do you get the list? Well, you just go to my website, juliedillonrd.com and you can sign up to get it sent right to you right now. Thank you to this episode's sponsor, the Pursuing Private Practice Masterclass e-course from Jennifer McGurk. If you would like to find out more information and sign up, go to juliedillonrd.com forward slash private practice masterclass. And don't forget about the secret code. You get 10% off if you use the code BOSS at checkout. Well, food has written back. Let's hear what food has to say. Until then, please keep me posted, Merritt. I will be rooting for you and I can't wait to hear how things go. And take care. Dear Merritt. We are amazed with your brave strength to heal and how you're helping to empower fellow radicals to do the same. We food, thank you for this. We have had many ups and downs together. None have been your fault. Life has been complicated and you were led to believe many false truths. As you untangle this, continue to practice self-compassion even if it feels odd or inaccurate. This self-compassion is the key to connecting the dots and repairing your soul. This will take time and it will take up space, the very space the universe has carefully and precisely carved out with enough room just for you. Love food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of a Love Food Podcast. Take care.
0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
2: When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key.